Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. We're looking at the gospel reading for today's Mass, and this is probably one of my favourite gospel texts across all four gospels. There's so much richness in it, so uh, let's start by reading the passage, and let's see what we can draw from the literal sense. What was going on in the author's mind when he was trying to convey these words, and in particular, in this case, what was Jesus trying to say to his disciples? John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. Jesus said to his disciples, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that bears no fruit, he cuts away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it bear even more. You are pruned already by means of the word that I have spoken to you. Make your home in me as I make mine in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit all by itself, but must remain part of the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me, with me in him, bears fruit in plenty. For cut off from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is like a branch that has been thrown away. He withers. These branches are collected and thrown on the fire, and they are burnt. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, you may ask what you will, and you shall get it. It is to the glory of my Father that you should bear much fruit. Then you will be my disciples. So a really interesting passage for us to look at today, and there's a lot going on here. Let's jump into it. So, what's the context? So, the Last Supper has begun in chapter 13 and 14, and Jesus has begun the farewell discourse. If you've been following on in the last few days, you would have heard the first few bits of the farewell discourse. So, the last thing that's happened is Jesus has just promised to give the apostles peace. He says, peace I leave with you. Now, it appears, although it's not certain, that at this point they've gotten up and they're walking towards the Garden of Gethsemane. Verse 1, Jesus said to his disciples. Now, the audience is really important. Let's keep that in mind as we go through today. He's speaking to his 12 apostles. What he says here does not apply in the same way to everyone. He's going to speak to them about the importance of remaining in communion with him rather than doing it in their own strength. Keep in mind that they're going to be the leaders of the church and Jesus knows that. So he wants to make sure they're clear on what they're going to have to do. In the coming years. And he's going to use a metaphor that they would be quite familiar with. So it's kind of like a mini parable that Jesus does here. And the metaphor that he uses is about a vine. So the apostles lived in an agricultural area of the world and it had a lot of vines, so they would have known how vines and fruit worked. But on top of that, the metaphor of the vineyard is used a lot in the Old Testament. Jesus doesn't bring up the vine as though no one else in the Bible has done it. A lot of the prophets talk about God's relationship with Israel, his people, as like uh, the relationship between a vine dresser and a vineyard. And a really good one to read for this is Isaiah chapter 5. That's a really, really clear example of how God himself describes Israel as his vineyard and him as the vine dresser. It's well worth reading Isaiah chapter 5 before we go any further uh, with this text. So if you have the time, stop and read Isaiah chapter 5, I would say. 
Now, let's move on here in this text. He says, I am the true vine. So this is Jesus' seventh and final I am statement in the Gospel of John. Seven times in the Gospel of John, he gives himself an I am title. This is the last one. Notice he says here, I am the true vine. So he probably, at this point, the apostles probably have in their mind, or they certainly would have been familiar with, Isaiah chapter 5 and other Old Testament passages where Israel is depicted as the vine. But here Jesus says, I am the true vine, as as in Jesus is the realization of Israel as their vocation to be God's obedient people. He's the final perfect, perfect version of that because he's completely united with God's will. Israel was able to follow God's will sometimes. Jesus, as the perfect vine, is able to fulfill all of that obedience. So in a sense here, Jesus is encouraging his apostles to find their new source of life and strength in Jesus himself, rather than the old covenant. Maybe that's something that Jesus is intending here. Now, since this occurs towards the end of the Last Supper, or maybe they've just left the Last Supper, there could be a link here between something else Jesus said about wine and the vine during the Last Supper. Remember, he talked about when he uh, institutes the Eucharist, he says, the fruit of the vine. So that's a phrase that he uses there. So maybe that would still be fresh in their memory, and maybe there's supposed to be a link between that, what he says here, and the Eucharist. And that's... um, That phrase, the fruit of the vine, is discussed more explicitly in the Synoptic Gospels version of the Last Supper. He then says, after I am the true vine, my father is the vine dresser. So notice this, Jesus is giving us information about how to interpret this mini parable. Jesus is not in charge of the vine, interestingly. It's actually the father that's in charge of the vine and the one that does the cutting and the pruning. So the father plants the vine and looks after it. And the son, Jesus, is the main part of the vine, the life-giving part of the vine. So he could say Jesus is the foundation of the church. He's the source of life for the rest of the church. The branches, as we'll see, refer to individual Christians. So the vineyard as a whole is the church, and individual branches are individual Christians. It's quite an amazing metaphor, actually, um, the more you think about it. And you think about how there's life actually um, flowing through individual branches that comes from the core of the vine itself. But let's keep this in mind. The father is the one who's establishing the kingdom and the vine. He's establishing the people for himself and he's the one who's kind of overseeing it. But Jesus as the son is the one who makes the kingdom possible and supplies this special supernatural life to the kingdom. Now, on top of that, it doesn't say this in the passage, But the church throughout the ages has seen the sap that flows from Jesus to the individual branches. That sap could be considered to be the Holy Spirit. And you'll see that in the Catechism. Uh, Although that's not specifically uh, said in this passage, Jesus has been talking about the Holy Spirit prior to this. So it's a logical inference to say that the sap, if there is sap here, would be the Holy Spirit. Verse 2 Every branch in me that bears no fruit. So Jesus here is thinking of people who have been brought into God's kingdom. So notice this. They're people who are in him. They are part of the vine, but they're bearing no fruit. So they're not cooperating with the spirit. And therefore, they're not producing the good works, the good fruit that God requires of them if they're going to be part of his vine. So those branches that are in him, but they bear no fruit. 
Now notice that, that there's, a, you know, there's so much we could draw from this, but it's possible to be in the kingdom, but not to be bearing fruit. Some Christians would say that if you're a Christian and you're saved, it's obvious because you're producing good fruit. That's not the way the New Testament um, portrays it. It's certainly true that true Christians will produce good fruit, but the New Testament also adds in this other group of people who are part of the kingdom, but they're sort of uh, reducing in status of the kingdom and they're gradually moving further and further away from the Father, even though they were once part of the kingdom. So the New Testament does talk about people who lose their salvation, and that's what's in mind here. He says, uh, Jesus says that for those people, God cuts them away. So this is a clear reference. It's not a nice thought, but it is a clear reference to how God puts people out of his kingdom because they're not bearing fruit. So only those which remain in God's grace and produce good fruit remain a part of the kingdom. And in a few verses time, Jesus is going to give us more information about what happens to these branches after they are cut off. In context, this is a warning to the apostles. Jesus is telling the apostles that if they want to stay in the kingdom, they need to keep producing fruit, which means they need to stay in communion with Jesus. That's the main point. He wants the apostles to hear this. They have to stay in communion with him. Then Jesus talks about a different group of people in the kingdom. He says, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes to make it bear even more fruit. Now, this is a fascinating principle. Think about how vines work in real life, and the apostles knew this. To get vines, if you've got a vine at home, we have a vine at home, so this is why it's one of my favorite um, parts of the Gospels. To get them to bear more fruit, you actually have to prune the vine. You have to make the vine suffer in order to make it produce the best fruit possible. So God's goal in creating this vine, or to bring people into the kingdom, is so that they will produce fruit or good works. God is not making the kingdom just for fun, for something to do. God the Father's goal is so that people in the kingdom will produce good works and glorify him. He wants to transform the world through good works. That's what his kingdom is for. The word here for pruned is kathero in Greek, and that can mean pruned or cleansed. It's the same, same word. This is a different Greek word that's used for cutting off, which was mentioned a bit earlier. So there's a distinction between being cut away, the father cutting people off from the vine, and the father pruning people. It's two different concepts. So here Jesus says that there's a group of God's people who are doing God's will in his kingdom, and they are producing fruit, but God the Father is going to prune them, which means the Father brings difficulties and sufferings into a true believer's life. So this goes against the prosperity gospel a bit, doesn't it? Here, Jesus teaches that there are some in the kingdom who are producing fruit who are true believers, but God makes them suffer in a way. He prunes them so that they might become more pure and produce more fruit. So you could call this the process of fatherly discipline. The father of the kingdom, God, disciplines his sons. And we see that if you want some references. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 to 11. James chapter 1 verse 2 to 4, and 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 7. So this principle of God disciplining, God pruning Christians so that they will produce more fruit and progress further in the kingdom, it's a clear teaching of the New Testament, but we don't talk about it enough. Verse 3, he then says to the apostles something interesting. He says, you are pruned already by means of the word that I have spoken to you. 
So here he's talking to the apostles. They have a special privilege where they're already pruned, basically. And other translations put this as you are already made clean. So they're already purified and ready to produce fruit. They don't have to do this background work that maybe new believers would have to. Because of the fact that they have already heard Jesus speaking for the last three and a half years, they already know a substantial amount about God's will. It's just up to them to put it into action and to produce fruit. So basically, Jesus is saying to the apostles, from here on out, you should be able to produce much fruit. There's nothing that's stopping you from producing fruit because you're already purified, but only if you remain in me. So it appears to be that for the apostles in particular, God doesn't need to prune them much more. That's already happened to them through the ministry of Jesus, but they do need to stay in connection with him. Whereas for us today, we have to do both. We have to be pruned and we have to voluntarily remain in communion with Jesus. Verse four, Jesus says, make your home in me, or as you know, most translations that we're aware of, that we are familiar with would say, abide in me. The idea here, let's try and keep in mind the metaphor that Jesus is using is the vineyard metaphor. So the idea is the branches need to stay connected to the main vine and not try to plant themselves elsewhere. It's not going to work. And then Jesus qualifies it. He says, make your home in me as I make mine in you. So Jesus says he's already pouring his own grace and life into the apostles. So whatever abiding in him means, it's something that Jesus is in a sense already doing to the apostles. He says, as a branch cannot bear fruit all by itself, but must remain part of the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. So if the apostles are to produce fruit for the vine, which is the kingdom of God, they have to remain in connection, abiding with Jesus. So here's the question. What does it mean to remain or to abide in Jesus? Often you'll hear uh, commentaries or sermons where they'll try and come up with a fancy idea of what it means to abide in Jesus, as in it means to do a special prayer or something. Well, actually, Jesus goes on to explain it. And whenever Jesus gives his own explanation of his words, that's the one we want to go with. He hasn't explained it yet, but he will in a few verses time. And it turns out that the basic meaning of remaining or abiding in Jesus has a similar meaning to what he's just described in verse in chapter 14, where Jesus said that he will make his home in Christian believers. Do you remember that passage? I will come and make my home in him in chapter 14. If you remember in chapter 14, the condition for Jesus coming to make his home in a Christian believer was they have to keep his commandments. Jesus is going to make the same point here in verse 9 and 10, which is in tomorrow's reading. Jesus says that if you want to remain in Jesus and if you want Jesus to continue to abide in you, he says to the apostles, you need to keep following my commandments. That's what it means to abide in him, to follow his commandments. If they do that, they'll be able to produce a lot of fruit. Verse 5, Jesus summarizes it by saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me, with me in him, bears fruit in plenty. So Jesus is repeating himself. He knows he's about to go away and he wants to make sure the apostles absolutely understand this principle because they are going to lead the church. And then he says this, cut off from me, you can do nothing. Now remember the audience here. He's talking to the apostles. He says to the apostles that if they separate themselves from Jesus, 
and his commandments, they reject his commandments and his grace, well then his divine life will stop flowing through them and they will not be able to produce good works. They can do nothing. Now, notice this refers to a voluntary leaving of the vine. Otherwise, there's no point telling this to the apostles. He's telling them, don't deliberately leave the vine. Don't leave the kingdom. And that's going to be developed more in the next verse. What does it mean to say they can do nothing? Now, it doesn't mean literally nothing in the way that we might think of it in English today. A common Jewish expression would be, they would say, all or everything. And the context tells you what all or everything means. In this context, can do nothing basically means you will not be able to produce any fruit. Or maybe something like, you will not be able to please the, the Father. It doesn't mean you won't be able to walk or talk. It just means that if you separate yourself from the vine, you won't be able to do works that are pleasing to the Father. And that applies to us today as well. We can't do good works in our own strength, and that's a Catholic teaching, actually. Any good works we do are ultimately empowered by Jesus. Verse 6, Jesus now tells us what happens if you don't remain in him. Anyone who does not remain in me, so that's those who know Jesus' commandments but refuse to follow them, so they cut themselves off from Jesus' life, is like a branch that has been thrown away. More literally, it actually says he is cast forth, so God actively casts them away. God casts them out of the kingdom. It says he withers, so that probably means that in this life, the person who's been cast away loses all grace and divine life, so he withers. And then on top of that, Jesus says, these branches are collected and thrown on the fire and they are burnt. And that's what happened to vines in that culture. If a vine was not producing fruit, then it was considered useless by the farmer and the farmer collected it and threw it onto the fire. So is this a reference to hell? Probably. It probably is. Jesus here is probably teaching that For those who remain outside of Jesus' kingdom, when they die, they get eternal punishment because they did not produce good fruit that God expected them to produce. Another metaphor to this, which is really similar, is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, John the Baptist says about Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand, he will bring the wheat into his barn, but the chaff will be thrown into unquenchable fire. It's the same basic agricultural metaphor. Good fruit or good wheat is used and brought into heaven. Um, Bad wheat or bad fruit, which doesn't produce what God expects, is thrown into unquenchable fire. And that probably means hell. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you. So again, notice what he qualifies it with. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. So the key indicator of whether Jesus is remaining in someone appears to be whether they're following his word, his commandments. That's what it means to remain in Jesus. It doesn't mean thinking nice thoughts about Jesus. It doesn't mean saying nice prayers necessarily. Jesus says to remain in him means to follow his commandments. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, he then says this, you may ask what you will and you shall get it, or it shall be done for you, as other translations put it. Now, this is not a magical thing. This is a promise given to the apostles, particularly about the early years of preaching the kingdom of God that they're going to have to do after Jesus goes away. And you can see this um, because Jesus has already discussed it in chapter 14, verses 13 to 14. This idea that if you remain in God's will, he's talking to the apostles, then God will grant their requests. And that makes sense because if the apostles are following Jesus' commandments, 
So they're remaining in Jesus. That means they're remaining in God's will. And therefore, their wills are aligned with God's will. So he's going to grant whatever requests they have because the apostles and God want the same thing, which is to build up his kingdom. The reality is this principle probably doesn't apply to the same extent to Christians today. Although, in a general way, if we align our wills with God's will, God will grant us the desires of our heart. He then says this, It is to the glory of my Father that you should bear much fruit. Notice that. That's the whole point of the vineyard. The whole point of it is, and in fact of God's kingdom, is to produce good works which glorify the Father. Christians who are called into the kingdom are expected to produce good fruit for the Father. And then you will be my disciples. And remember, disciple means follower. Jesus says if the apostles can continue doing good works in a similar way to what Jesus did, then they will be his followers, his disciples. They will remain in him and they will continue to build the kingdom. So there were a bit of a longer exegesis there today, but hopefully you learn something new. I think often this um, I am the vine thing is treated as some deep mystical thing that we can't fully grasp. And there is a mystical element to it because he's talking about divine life. But he does make it concrete in terms of to remain in me means to follow my commandments. So it's something that all Christians have access to. It doesn't have to be a complicated thing. Follow Jesus' commandments and you will have Jesus' divine life in you. That's the basic teaching of this um, section. Now, this farewell discourse continues in the lectionary in the coming days. This gets a lot of attention in the Catechism, this particular chapter and these verses in particular. So I want to spend a bit of time talking about some really powerful verses from the Catechism. So uh, today will be a bit of a longer podcast, but um, hopefully you can see why, because it's such an important passage in helping us understand the Holy Spirit, in helping us understand God's work and the Apostles' work. So there's a there's more Catechism references than I can do in this podcast, but I'll include them all in the show notes. I want to read out a few really powerful ones. Paragraph 1108 is about the Holy Spirit. It says, In every liturgical action, the Holy Spirit is sent in order to bring us into communion with Christ and so to form his body. The Holy Spirit is like the sap of the Father's vine, which bears fruit on its branches. The most intimate cooperation of the Holy Spirit and the Church is achieved in the liturgy. The Spirit who is the Spirit of Communion abides indefectibly in the Church. For this reason, the Church is the great sacrament of divine communion, which gathers God's scattered children together. Communion with the Holy Trinity and fraternal communion are inseparably the fruit of the Spirit in the liturgy. Paragraph 755 talks about the church as the vine. It says, The church is a cultivated field, the tillage of God. On that land, the ancient olive tree grows, whose holy roots were the prophets, and in which the reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles has been brought about and will be brought about again. That land, like a choice vineyard, has been planted by the heavenly cultivator. Yet the true vine is Christ, who gives life and fruitfulness to the branches, that is to us, who through the church remain in Christ, without whom we can do nothing. Paragraph 1988 talks about the individual Christian and the power of the Holy Spirit which can flow through us. It says, Through the power of the Holy Spirit, we partake in Christ's passion by dying to sin and in his resurrection by being born to a new life. 
We are members of his body, which is the church, branches grafted onto the vine, which is himself. God gave himself to us through his spirit. By the participation of the spirit, we become communicants in the divine nature. For this reason, those in whom the spirit dwells are divinized. Now, that's an amazing paragraph. It says that Christians, if they remain in Jesus, actually develop divine life and get pulled into the communion of the Trinity. And that's amazing. A lot that could be said about that. But we'll move on. Paragraph 787. Jesus spoke of a still more intimate communion between him and those who would follow him. Abide in me and I in you. I am the vine, you are the branches. And he proclaimed a mysterious and real communion between his own body and ours. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So there's a link there to what Jesus said in John chapter 6 in the Bread of Life discourse. Paragraph 308, uh, and this talks about primary, sorry, providence and secondary causes. So it talks about how God works in the world. The truth that God is at work in all the actions of his creatures is inseparable from faith in God the Creator. God is the first cause who operates in and through secondary causes. For God is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Far from diminishing the creature's dignity, this truth enhances it. Drawn from nothingness by God's power, wisdom and goodness, it can do nothing if it is cut off from its origin. For without a creator, the creature vanishes. Still less, a creature can attain its ultimate end without the help of God's grace. So that's a really interesting one about the theology of how God works through us to bring about his plans. Paragraph 864 is about how God works through the apostles and the bishops. It says, Christ sent by the Father is the source of the the church's whole apostolate. Thus, the fruitfulness of the apostolate for ordained ministers, as well as for lay people, clearly depends on their vital union with Christ. So that's a really important teaching because often we can look at bishops or priests or individual Christians and realize they're not living a holy life. This paragraph teaches us one of the main reasons why people can fall away is because they no longer have a vital union with Christ, which probably means they don't follow his commandments. That's one of the teachings of the church. Even people who are blessed by God as bishops and priests who have holy orders Not necessarily is their mission going to be successful if they're not remaining in union with Christ. Paragraph 1694 is about individual Christians. It says, Incorporated into Christ by baptism, Christians are dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ, and so participate in the life of the risen Lord. Following Christ and united with him, Christians can strive to be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love by conforming their thoughts, words, and actions to the mind which is yours in Christ Jesus, and by following his example. Paragraph 2074, this is in an interesting place. It's in the introduction to the discussion about the Ten Commandments. And here it talks about what is the relationship between the Ten Commandments and the natural law. It says this, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. The fruit referred to in this saying is 
the holiness of a life made fruitful by union with Christ. When we believe in Jesus Christ, partake of his mysteries, and keep his commandments, the Saviour himself comes to love us. In us, his Father and his brethren, our Father and our brethren. His person becomes, through the Spirit, the living and interior rule of our activity. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So that's a really interesting application. And here, the Catechism actually tells us what the fruit is in this particular passage. Lastly, we'll make this the last one for today. Of course, there's so much more you could say about John chapter 15. Paragraph 2732 is about prayer. And this is a really powerful paragraph and it's well worth meditating on because we all struggle with distraction in prayer. The most common yet most hidden temptation is our lack of faith. It expresses itself less by declared incredulity than by our actual preferences. When we begin to pray, a thousand labours or cares, thought to be urgent, vie for priority. Once again, it is the moment of truth for the heart. What is its real love? Sometimes we turn to the Lord as a last resort, but do we really believe he is? Sometimes we enlist the Lord as an ally, but our heart remains presumptuous. In each case, our lack of faith reveals that we do not yet share in the disposition of a humble heart. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So that's fascinating, that quote, apart from me, you can do nothing, from John chapter 15. The Catechism uses that as the principle for, really, we can only do proper prayer when we're grounded in Jesus, when we abide in him. So all of that will be in the show notes for you to take a look at. Thank you for listening to this uh, slightly longer podcast today. It's such an important passage and one which is well worth dwelling on. Thank you. Please tune in again tomorrow as we continue in the farewell discourse.